Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today our guest is Etaf Rum. Etaf is the author of her debut book, A Woman Is No Man, which is a New York Times bestseller. Today, we talk about how this book was sort of an accident, Etaf's love of reading, and what it's like to hear from readers who get it when it comes to her book. But before all of that, I have a few little announcements. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the link in the show notes. That link will take you to all the books, articles, and anything else that gets discussed. Also in the show notes are links to all of our social media accounts so you can stay connected to the stacks. Want more of The Stacks? Head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to be part of our bookish community. We call it The Stacks Pack. Patreon allows listeners to help support this show while earning cool perks. One of my favorite perks is our virtual book club, where The Stacks Pack hops on a video call to discuss the past week's pick for The Stacks Book Club. It's always really insightful and interesting to get feedback on the book from all of you. We have other perks too, like finding out guests in advance, input on the show, and more. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to check it out. If you like what you hear today, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. It helps the show reach new audiences. So please, please, please take a moment to do that. Okay, let's dive in to this episode of The Short Stacks with Etaf Rum. All right, you guys, I'm here with Etaf Rum, the author of A Woman Is No Man. Etaf, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So we always kind of start these episodes the same way, which is like in about 30 seconds or less, can you tell us about your book? So my book is about three female characters who are all in their own ways struggling to find um, what values, what is most valuable to them in life. And it's mostly about finding your own voice and standing up for yourself and what that means to these different characters with these very different cultural expectations. Got it. And your book just came out and congratulations. It's on the New York times bestseller. Is that like the greatest joy? That's, that's amazing. That's the dream. I can't even put it in words. (laughs) I mean, that's so amazing. So congratulations to you for that. I think especially for a first time novelist and a woman of color and a a story about like women. I know. And I, I'm so proud. I'm so grateful. And most importantly is that I, I'm so happy that 
I can help get these stories of these women told right. and heard. Right. And when you say these stories of these women, just to fill in, in case you're not familiar with the book, um, Etoff is Palestinian American. Her book is about Palestinian and Palestinian American women. And it deals with marriage and family and abuse and trauma and all this stuff that's, you know, really important and stories that we don't often get to hear. So I kind of wonder how do you, as the author of, it's not a new story, but it's being told you know, not the first time, but it's, you're a pioneer in this kind of talking about this kind of stuff when it comes to Arab Americans. So how do you, as the author of that, how do you deal with it? How do you respond as a human? I think it's important for us all to be authentic to our own stories and to our own um, past and the way that past and these stories emerge and the narratives that we tell ourselves in our head, the narratives that pretty much control our life, whether they're narratives that are given to us by our culture, by our upbringing, or narratives that we um, instill in ourselves. And I think that was something that I tried over and over to make sure is with me while I was writing, that I I have to be um, authentic and I have to stay true to myself and the story that I'm telling about these women. But then also to remember that this is just a story of a particular family and their particular truth and is not a representative of all women, all Arabs, all stories. Right. Like you clearly made the choice. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes like I'm a woman of color, you're a woman of color. And I think that sometimes um, audiences who aren't familiar with the, you know, the author's point of view sometimes assume that the story is representative of everyone. And I think that that's really dangerous and can be challenging because when we hear stories, you know, by white men about white men, no one's like, oh, all white people do this or all men do this or all, you know, even like when we talk about, I don't know, like lawyer stories, like not every lawyer is a drunk. And like we get that. But when people read your book, it's like, oh, what are you trying to say about Arab American women? It's like, "Mm, maybe I'm just talking about this one little side swipe of people. So I appreciate you doing that. And I have to imagine it's got to be challenging sometimes when you're dealing with people who are, are jumping to conclusions about what your point is. But I, I guess I kind of want to know about, you wrote it from three different perspectives throughout 20 years. How did you come to that for this story? Or why did you decide that was the way to go for this story? Well, when I first started writing it, it was coming from a single perspective of Dea, the main character who's 18 years old and who I could um, resonate with the most as an Arab American. So she is the only character in my novel um, or of the three women that I focus on. She's the only one who's born and raised in America. And so I thought that would be easiest for me to resonate with her and to talk about her struggles because they felt more present and more urgent. And it wasn't until I started writing her character that I realized that actually Her mother's story is also really important because it shapes the outcomes of her life. And then I started thinking even further and going back even further into the grandmother's story. Mm. And so it took me a while to understand that the cycle of their, um, their struggles and the cycle of how their hardships are being passed down from one generation to the other actually is very important in understanding the present day moment. That it's Mm. not just about what's happening right now. It's about what happened before us and how we can prevent what happens after us from being a repetitive cycle. Right. And have you heard from readers or what have you heard from readers, I guess? Like what are, what's the responses that you get, I guess, both positive or negative or pushback maybe that you've agreed with or things where you've been like, I never expected that or, you know, anything in that world. Uh, Mostly it's been 
so positive people who are very grateful to just be seen and heard and to mm-hmm. have their stories represented. And you know, here and there you get, of course, the very common, I'm Palestinian American and my father doesn't do this as that. Right. And <laughs> that's great for you. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that that's not your reality, but it is a reality of some women. And the, these women who it is a reality for have been flooding my inbox. Just very, mm. very grateful to be seen and heard, which is my, which was my intention. Yeah. How does that make you feel when you get those letters that are like, you got me? I will say that I cry. <laughs> I cry because I, I just see um, so many people in those messages. Uh, and it makes me so happy to have instilled some hope. Mm. in their lives just by reading the story and knowing that, you know, a good ending is possible if you just believe in yourself and knowing that you're seen and heard makes a big difference to right. know that someone validates your experiences. Like, yes, they happen. Yes, they exist. That alone is, um, is more than anything. In, in finding women that have been seen and heard and like hearing their stories and feeling like you've, you know, you kind of did what you set out to do. I know that some of this story is similar to some of your life just in reading about you. Did you ever consider writing a memoir instead of a novel? <laughs> Everyone asks that. Yes, of yeah. course. Um, I think whenever you're writing something that is semi-biographical or that is loosely based on your upbringing, especially right. when you're a woman of color and your story is just so personal. Right. This is a very personal story. Right, right, right. So I would be lying if I said that I didn't consider writing a memoir, but I just love fiction. I grew up reading (laughs) fiction. I I didn't grow up reading memoirs. I grew up reading fiction, falling in love with fiction, falling in love with stories and the power that stories have over us and the power and their ability to save us. And so I was really afraid that if I went the route, the route of a memoir, that I would be limited. Mm. uh, You know, fiction gives us this beautiful way of telling the truth. Right. And focusing on that truth instead of the the variables around it or the facts. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid of writing a memoir and having to worry about those things. And 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 truthfully, I was also afraid, you know, when you're telling a story like this, that is so personal, that alone is hard to tell that story alone is hard. And I felt a little bit safer telling it in fiction than I would have had I decided to tell a memoir. I don't know if you have the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. In your book, you have words that are not in English, and those words appear in italics. And this happens all the time in books where the words are not in English. Why why do we do this? Like, why do we assume that the reader can't notice that this was a word that they don't know in English? Like, I just, it annoys me a little bit sometimes because I feel like it's like we're saying, this is another language, like, pay attention, you don't know this word. And it's like, yeah look it up? You know, that's actually an interesting question because through the copy editing stage of my novel, one of the questions was, should we italicize the foreign words or would the reader already know what they are? And I think we had decided that we were not going to italicize the foreign words for the reason that you were saying until some of the foreign words actually could also be read as English words, but they weren't. Uh. Like there were some words there that, that were could had also a completely separate English meaning if they were, so they would have messed up the sentence and you can't just only italicize that word. You either have to italicize all the words or not italicize any of the words. And so uh, we decided to just italicize all the words so that we could 
give the reader an easier reading experience. Okay. So that's a choice that you get to make. So that's not just something that's like MLA says you have to do this. No, we made that choice because of the instances where the Arabic word actually, when you read it, is also an English word. And it it made you stop in the sentence and say, wait a minute, this makes sense. Oh, wait, that's an Arabic. You know what I mean? Like you kind of messed up with the reading. Totally. Okay. That makes total sense. I respect that very much. (laughs) (laughs) I just was so curious when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask her this. I've never asked. I always have wondered this question. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What do you want people to take away from your book? And I'm sure you get that question a lot. But now that it's out in the world, like, what do you hope that the book might accomplish? I hope that women, men, families who are reading this book can come out of it knowing that they are not obliged to follow a path that does not resonate with their own inner values and beliefs. Mm. And that sometimes it is worth the risk of asking questions and going on a little path of self-discovery 
to finding yourself, standing up to what you don't believe in and what you do believe in, in order to to end up on the path that you have chosen for yourself. Mm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the process of you writing this book. So where were you when you wrote or where do you like to write? Are you an at-home writer, a coffee shop writer? Do you like to have a snack or beverage? Do you like to light a candle? Like set the mood for how you kind of like tap into your creative writing juices. I love this question. So you have officially been the first person to ask me this question, which I love. Yay. Because I kind of want to know what other writers do. You know, you kind of want to get in their head. Like, what do you do? do. You have to listen to these episodes. I always ask this. I'm particularly personally interested in snacks and beverages because I don't write, but I just like to eat and drink things. But I love hearing these answers because it's incredible how different everyone is. And I think a lot of times with with all things. It's like you think that what you do is what everyone does. Like, of course. And then I'll get in these conversations and someone will be like, yeah. And then I have to turn around three times backwards and I can only write in the basement with no windows. And I'm like, wait, what? Who can do that? (laughs) So yeah, I want to hear about your whole writing juju setup. Okay. So um, I will talk about what I've been doing lately. So that's not how I started writing, but this is how now I write. So I am right now actually sitting where I write. Okay. Right at this moment. I'm sitting in a coffee shop okay. <laughs> by the window okay. with my earplugs plugged in. I am usually drinking a coffee, listening to classical music. And sometimes, not always, I have some of my favorite books sitting beside me so that I can leaf through them if I'm thinking about plot structure and I'm not sure if something's going to work. I could easily pick up one of my favorite novels and you know flip through and kind of see the structure of the novel um, or something like that. So usually when I come to work every morning, when I come to my coffee shop and I open up my laptop, I have an agenda for the day. Okay. So it's what do I want to write about today or what's my goal for today? That's usually something that I'm thinking about when I first wake up. Okay, today I'm, you know, I'm going to go and this is what I'm going to think about or write about. And I feel like that really helps give me structure. All right. And what is in that stack of books? that are your favorite novels that you bring with you? Oh my God. So right now I have no books because I'm starting from scratch and I don't want to get um, (laughs) sidetracked. But usually like when I'm way deep into my novel and it's just there for comfort, I love A Thousand Splendid Sons by Mm -hmm. Khaled Husseini. I love um, Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. No, by, um, yeah. No, Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Stroud. And I love... Lately, I've been reading I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpott. It's a collection of essays that I really love. But usually it's just books that I've either read recently that I really love or just classic books. Middle Sex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Just really classic books that I know I can always go back to. And what sort of stuff do you read when you're writing or when you were writing A Woman Is No Man? Like what books were you reading? I was reading pretty much everything because I was also running books and beans, which mm-hmm. meant that I had a lot of galleys coming in and I was reading through them, but mostly, so I love to read psychological thrillers okay. because they help, they help me not think about anything. Cause I'm so invested in, in the book. Um, so anything that's, I love women's stories. I love family sagas. So those are the types of stories that I like to read stories that make me think about, you know, the world and and how we act as humans when when we're under pressure or when we're facing some sort sort of internal conflict that manifests in the way we live. I just love stories about that. Right. So that's what I'm usually reading. 
I love it. Tell us a little bit about Books and Beans. I know it pops up in the book, which I liked, but that's your Instagram, Bookstagram account that you started. And now it's massive. And like, talk about it a little bit. I use I use Books and Beans as a way to connect readers to books that I personally love. And I found throughout my life that books were always my bridge to the outside world. And they've always helped me find connection, whether it's to a fictional place or to a real place or whether it's the people around me that are sharing their same love. So like growing up when Harry Potter was a huge thing, I just had this Harry Potter family in my my neighborhood where we all just (laughs) loved Harry Potter. And I found so much connection at that time in my life because of Harry Potter, because I was reading. And so I kind of wanted to bring that back and share some of that love where people can see other people reading these books, talking to them. And, and sharing their love of reading, which is the most beautiful thing to do in the world. And you're obviously an avid reader. How did you come into writing? Was that always on your plan for your life? Did you always want to be a writer? Because like, I'm a huge reader and I don't like writing at all. Like, I just love to read. Writing is like terrifying to me and I don't enjoy it. So I'm curious how you kind of came into writing. So I, I do want to say that I think this is my personal belief that all avid readers that have a story of their own, think about being a writer. They think like if you have your own story, mm-hmm. it's like dying to come out of you. Right. So since I was little, I always wanted to write a book, but I never actually thought that I could be a writer. So I never wanted to go to school to be a writer. I wanted to go to school to be a lawyer. Like that was, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And so I wouldn't say that I wrote this by accident. But it's not like I ever set out to be a writer or to write a novel, even though in my head, like I would always say whenever my mom would like do, do something and I'm like, God, I'm going to write a book about you when I grow up. Just wait. <laughs> you know, like I'll just say that kind of stuff. But I never actually, um, I never acted on it. Um, but writing A Woman Is No Man came about by accident. It started out as a diary entry. And then after teaching literature and thinking, why aren't stories like these present in our bookstores and bookshelves, I just thought, hey, I'm going to start. I'm, I'll do that then. I'll write that. So it was an accident. An accident, but like an intentional. Your life was leading you in this direction. Yes, But this exactly. book wasn't a plan. I see. Did you have any response to the book where you felt like, oh my God, I can't believe so-and-so has read my book. Like, holy shit. Well, when the book was chosen for the Today Show by Jenna Bush, that was like, holy yeah. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe she read my book. I can't believe she loved my book enough right. to pick it. You know, it's just not that we need, I mean, I know everybody kind of strives for that external validation to prove that they've succeeded. But to me, that was not just that, but also, wow, a woman who is so intelligent, who came from a very, you know, privileged, well-read family, mm-hmm. who's read so many books in her life, whose family members were librarians, loved my book. You know, right. I, I think to me that was some sort of like confidence booster that I, I don't think I would have gotten otherwise. Right. I mean, that's really cool. It's That's like a yeah. very cool thing. Like, you know, don't, don't need to like hide your excitement. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like the Today <laughs> Show. Like, whoa. Um, do you, okay, I always am interested in this. Do you identify yourself as a writer or an author now? Yes, I do. But it's been it's, it's been weird. Like whenever says, Oh, someone, someone tells me, Oh, you're a writer. I used to always say, well, I'm not a writer. I just wrote a book. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, not really. I never studied writing. I never went to school to be a writer. I just wrote this book. And now 
you know, now that I'm working on something else, I'm writing another book. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself, actually, no, I am a writer. Right. You know, stop telling yourself you're not a writer. You're a writer. Accept it. Right. <laughs> Do you have another job, a day job, another life that you lead that you are more confident in saying that that's your career or profession? Yeah. Yes. Well, so I, when I was writing the novel, I was actually, I taught for five years, English and literature at a community college. So that was my day job. That was the only job that I've ever had really is teaching. And then I couldn't do that anymore as well as be a full-time writer. And so I had to take a leave on that. Hopefully I can get back into a stable schedule where I can go back and have that as a career because I really love teaching. Mm. Um, But now I write full-time and then I also run a restaurant and I'm about to open up Books and Beans. You are. (laughs) Oh my God. Is that so exciting? Is that like a real dream? Yes. That, that has been a real dream. I've always wanted to open up like a coffee shop slash bookstore. Me too. I'm going to open up a Saks bookstore one day. (laughs) That's my, that's my dream too. That's a a beautiful dream. I know. Right. Like we need more bookstores, but like bookstores where you can hang too, you know, like where it's like you can hang and read and be comfortable and just like enjoy being in the company of bookshelves. Yeah, absolutely. The best. Oh, how did you celebrate on publication day? Like, what did you do when your book came out into the world? And like, how did you feel when you held your galley in your hands for the first time? I was so excited when I held my galley for the first time. I I remember just opening the box and just screaming (laughs) because I just couldn't believe it. (laughs) And on publication day, I, I so happened to have the the day that my book came out. And so what I did was I checked out my kids from school early to like celebrate. We went, we got ice cream Mm. and then we drove down to my event and they were there up in the crowd. It was a huge, you know, it was a great turnout. And so just having them looking up and having them watch me down there was the best thing in the world because I just felt like such a good example for them. And they were, they were really happy. And that was, to me, that was the most beautiful day because I felt like I got to teach them something. That's so amazing. That's so amazing. And who was the first person you let read your book? Not like your editor and stuff, but like when you were pretty much finished or like towards the end of your writing, were you like, here, person in my life, I want you to read this. I will say my sister, Seja, she was the first person to read my book. And I love her. She does your family yeah. love the book or does your family, is it split depending on what part of your family kind of thing? I don't, I'm not really in contact with my family except okay. for my sisters, my brother. Okay. Um, and yeah, they love the book. They absolutely, they're so, they're so proud of it. That's so amazing. That just feels like the story about your kids seeing you on publication day and your family, like it just feels like that feels like in line with the book. You know, like with how kind of the book ends, it's like, this feels like that's nice that your story and the book story kind of have that same kind of hopeful upturn at the end. Oh, this is important. This is a very important question. For people who love your book, what are some books you would recommend that are in conversation with or kind of not necessarily the same topics, but just books that you feel like aren't would be good follows to if you've read A Woman Is No Man? So I would recommend reading Salt Houses by Hala Elyon. I would recommend reading The Affairs of the Falcons by mm. Melissa Rivero. Um, A Place for Us by Fatma Mirza. And America for Beginners by Leah Frank Lloyd. 
Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And I will link to all this stuff and you and everything in the show notes. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else. Oh, I do have one last question. In the writing of your book, like it's a pretty, there's a lot of difficult stuff, I would say, in the book for the reader and to grapple with as far as like abuse and, you know, what it means to be a woman and what the value of a woman is. Were there parts of this book that came particularly easy for you? And were there parts of this book that were more challenging to write? Yeah, it was the most challenging to write was um, Dea's perspective because she was so young. Mm-hmm. She was 18 and I had forgotten what that felt like. Mm. And so I had to constantly remind myself of how limited I felt at that age. Not that I didn't feel limited after that age, but like how particularly limited and confusing right. it feels like to not know which path to choose. Uh, and the easiest fate to me was Ezra. Mm. She was just so easy to write. Her hopelessness and her naivety in the beginning and her response to abuse was Mm. it felt very natural to me to write that's so interesting i love that okay well i think that that's all that i have for you i'm just looking over my questions to make sure i didn't forget anything that was that i was dying to know but i think that's it do you have anything that you want to add or say no no Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, The book is A Woman Is No Man. We will link to it in the show notes. It came out this year, in March, right? Yeah. So it's only been out for a little bit. It's still like kind of brand new in the world. Yes. Oh, I do know what I want to say. I want to say thank you to all my readers for reading. I love you so much and I'm so grateful to have you and to share my stories with you. Yay. I love that. We'll end right there. Um, Itaf, thank you so much for being here and everyone else. We will see you in the stacks. All right, everybody, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to The Short Stacks and thank you to Etaf Rum and the folks over at Harper Books. Everything we talked about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Podcast on Instagram, at The Stacks Podcast underscore on Twitter, and check out our website at thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music comes from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>